Cultured Hollywood for Smart People for Wednesday, October 30th, 2019. I'm Nico. I'm your host, talking movies, television, music, and so much more in a way that smart people can enjoy them. Happy Hollows Eve. Actually, no, it's not Hollows Eve. It's Hollows Eve Eve. The day before Halloween. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Almost Halloween. Six hours from Halloween. Uh, <laughs> I hate this holiday. <laughs> you know, I'm done. I'm done ranting. You've heard my. You've heard my grievances. We're done. I'm sick of all the Halloween content. Really, that's what I'm trying to say. Because we've been doing it on Why Is This a Thing since the beginning of the month, and then on Two Cents we did our spooktacular. Sorry, spooktacular. We did all that shit. Uh, I just did a Stephen King podcast with Adam for the website that's coming up next week. So I'm all horrored out. Not horrored out, horrored out. <laughs> I do have one recommendation, though. If you are in for a scary movie this Thursday, if you're like me and you don't have any Halloween party plans um, and you're just sitting around handing out candy to the neighborhood kids, caramel apples and whatnot, is that still a thing that they do? Is bobbing for apples a thing? You know, I I can safely say I've never bobbed for apples in my life. (laughs) It's never been like a wholesome family activity. Hey, kids, gather around and mix saliva. An apple for you and mono for me. Um, (laughs) Anyway, you're sitting around. Maybe you want to watch a scary movie this Hallow's Eve. May I recommend to you The Invitation. The Invitation, streaming on Netflix. It's from 2015. Just watched it a few days ago. Um, I've been trying to catch up on all the movies I haven't seen this decade because I'm working on some project that's uh, very long and arduous. But uh, I've been trying to catch up. There's a lot of horror movies that I haven't seen because I'm a pussy. Uh, But this was one of them. One of the better horror movies I've seen in a really long time. The first hour and a half... I guess hour and 10 minutes or so is more of a psychological thriller. It's really an exercise in tension building. But by the end of it, it's full pandemonium, horror tropes, violence, uh, really fun, really chilling too, but uh, a good time. A horror movie that has something to say. It has a bunch of people that you would maybe recognize, but you couldn't put names to the faces. John Carroll Lynch is in it in a very small capacity. Um... Logan Marshall Green, who I call bootleg Tom Hardy, is the star. And there's another guy, uh, Mikkel Weissman, who I think was on Game of Thrones. He played Danny's beau, Danny's love interest, uh, whose name I'm blanking on now. But he had like the long flowing hair um, and he slayed a bunch of knights. Anyway. Karen Kusama directs The Invitation. Highly recommend. Again, one of the better horror movies I've seen in uh, a a good two to three years. It's really, really good. Anyway, let's talk. Let's talk pop culture. And I guess we should start with the elephant in the room. I'm talking about the good reverend Kanye West. (laughs) Kanye has gone gospel. Jesus is King is the name of the record. Just dropped last Friday. Not the most punctual of releases. I will give that to you, but we have it nonetheless. It's here in its finished form. It coincided with the release of an IMAX short film of the same name. I did not get a chance to see the IMAX movie. My brother did, however. And I know a lot of other people that were quite disappointed by what they saw at their local cinemas. (laughs) I would have seen it, but my AMC, what do we call that? A-list? Like the membership card that I pay an absorbent amount of money for every month did not cover this short film. I don't understand it. Every other IMAX movie I get in for free, but for some reason, Kanye West, the exception to the rule. As he always is, I suppose. Um... (laughs) Thank God I didn't see that thing. Pay $15 to watch Kanye sweep. On the big screen, Kanye West with a broom. 
from your iPod to IMAX. Fuck that. All right, let's talk. Let's talk Jesus is King. Um, how do how do we want to do this? Well, okay, I'll start with a review, and then we'll pull back and get a little more macro. Um, huh. Ha ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Um, it's growing on me. <laughs> it's really growing on me. Yeah, five days in. I think I like this record. And believe you me, I didn't like it on first listen. Oh no, I thought for the most part, these tracks were either disposable or flat out bad. And I still feel that way about some of these tracks, you know? Like, Closed on Sunday, bottom three Kanye song of all time? Horrendous. And besides the bars, like, the bars are bad enough, but (laughs) it is up there with every terrible track from Yeezus. It is amongst the worst work Kanye has ever done. And the lyric, closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A, you my number one with the lemonade, although it's very memeable, could be the worst lyric ever put to paper. It's not good. (laughs) I wish the Chinese had not invented papyrus. I guess they didn't invent papyrus, right? (laughs) Papyrus is the plant, paper is the product. And I think it was the Chinese. Yeah, I wish we just didn't invent the spoken language after hearing that lyric. But beyond that, man, some of these songs, some real earworms. Like, Sella is a dope track. Real percussive, has an energy about it. It's a good, like, head-bobbing song. Uh, Feels a lot like Yeezus, but the good parts of Yeezus, like, it's more black skinhead than it is bound to, you know? (laughs) Uh, I've been listening to that all week. Water is like a real chill, melancholy sort of pop song. But again, I don't mean that disparagingly. Um, It's just like a real nice, confident listen. And it's what I sort of love about late period Kanye now. There's a real sort of confidence and um, lack of desperation in his music that I find quite refreshing. And water certainly fits that bill. Um, And look. Use This Gospel is just an awesome melody. It's just an awesome pop song. Even the Kenny G section, you know? <laughs> that felt like a major flex, by the way. That felt like I'm Kanye West. And you may think Kenny G is just elevator music. And yeah, he may just be elevator music. But on my record, it's the greatest song in America. You know what I'm saying? But look, the Clips feature is probably the best feature on the record. Um, And again, it's just another song that highlights the things I love about Kanye. Simple pop hooks, nothing too showy, fairly moving in a weird way. Uh, Yeah, one of the better Kanye songs in the last few years. And look, I'm not forgiving the whole record. Believe me, like, again, closed on Sunday, not very good. On God is just, uh, I don't know, a disaster. It's really bad. <laughs> Insultingly bad. Uh, the amount of synth on that on that, uh, on that that track. Everything We Need's okay. God is, would be good if I could hear Kanye and it didn't sound like he was drowning as he was singing. <laughs> you know, it kind of sounds like he's suffering from lung cancer. You know, I imagine if, you know... <laughs> Remember the track Through the Wire when he was like in the hospital bed and he had like stitches closing his jaw shut? I imagine if he actually wrapped Through the Wire in that position, it would sound similar to God Is. Oh, that is rough. That just sounded like, all right, fellas, we got six hours before the record is due, before we promised my Twitter followers they would get access to it. Let me lay down another vocal. And they, they've they been sitting there for seven hours. They've run out of caffeine. Uh, yeah. Not a bad song, but the vocal is just frustrating. And you know what? I think that is my biggest problem with the album. Again, I don't love it. I actually liked Ye more. And I know people didn't care for Ye all that much. But um, I don't know. That one just felt like an appropriate record 
for where Kanye was in his career. And I found a lot of it quite moving. Um, you know, I wasn't as crazy about this album. The frustrating thing is the amount of little blemishes and imperfections and mistakes, for lack of a better word. You know, the, the assurance with Kanye, because I don't know if you guys knew this. He's a bit of an offbeat figure. You know, <laughs> the guy sort of marches to the beat of his own drum. And sometimes the lyrics get a bit, uh, I don't know, what's the word, crazy? And sometimes the ideas get away from Kanye. And so you don't always have the most coherent artistic statement when you listen to a Kanye West album. But I think there was always this guarantee that Kanye did the little things right. You know, we never questioned the uh, the actual craft. We perhaps questioned the artistry. We questioned what Kanye was rapping about. But we never had any doubt that the beats were always the best, right? That the mixes were always spot on. There was such an, a rigid attention to detail and craftsmanship that Kanye took when he made an album. And now it sort of feels like his attention is divided and uh, he loses interest in things real fast. You know, he has an idea. Actually, what it more often is, is Kanye thinks of a name for an album that happened with Yandi last year. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to put out this album next weekend. And he did like a few songs and the songs weren't good enough. And then he just scrapped it. And then he went into a desert with a gospel choir and concocted a new gospel album uh it's just sort of frustrating the lack of attention to detail kanye now has and to hear the vocal on god is or to hear the mix and use this gospel which is again a pretty good song but uh the kenny g part was just sort of shoved in there like i could have made that edit in audacity if i wanted to you know what i'm saying um That's the frustrating part. We always had a quality assurance with the musical aspects of Kanye. Um, And now it feels like that's slipping away uh, more than anything else. Even though, again, some of these beats are pretty, pretty good. Uh, So look, is it the best Kanye album? Certainly not. But I don't think it's the worst either. And I have certainly grown fondness for it over the past five days. And I suspect that that fondness will only grow over time. We will see. For now, half-hearted thumbs up to Jesus is King. Now, here's the point I want to make about Kanye and about the reaction to this record. Because I've sort of noticed after reading reviews and just various tweets or whatever, that your mileage may vary on the album based on what you perceive Kanye's intentions to be. And as we all know, historically, the intentions of Kanye West have been a very murky area. (laughs) It's sometimes hard to put a finger on exactly what Kanye believes at any given moment in time and what his intentions are for creating a particular piece of art or for giving an interview to say, I don't know, TMZ. You know? (laughs) This is a moral, ethical, political, spiritual gray area. But that is the nature of Kanye West. And part of being a fan of Kanye It's strapping yourself in for the roller coaster and enjoying all the ups and downs as frightful as they may appear. You know, you just have to go with it because his inconsistency is perhaps his greatest virtue. Anyway, when you think about Kanye West, there are two major philosophies you can adhere to. Two ways of thinking about the man. You either believe Kanye is a cynical shrewd businessman who is in total control of his public persona and that is only interested in making a dime or you believe him and you take him at his word and you uh you trust that each evolution is the natural progression of his artistry and nothing else one is totally cynical and shrewd The other is totally sincere. And I don't know if either philosophy is entirely correct. I think a lot of it exists in that gray area. To a certain extent, there is a business element to Kanye's persona, and that's always been the case. I don't think Kanye has ever been shy 
talking about money. He's married to Kim Kardashian. Uh, he has clearly succeeded at building a brand. His sneaker brand is amongst the most popular in the world. I don't think we think about him as Warren Buffett or even like a Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan type, but I don't know. The guy's an entrepreneur, and a certain amount of this is always going to involve the bottom line. But I think if you believe Kanye is a cynical, shrewd poser, uh, you were skeptical of this turn to gospel. You saw this shift as uh, kind of a cynical cash grab. And I know that some people on Twitter suggested that after the Trump stuff last year alienated his majority black fan base, doing gospel music was an attempt to re-engage with those initial fans. I think that's a totally cynical reading. I don't buy it, but I understand what you're saying. I generally am a Kanye purist. I am. <laughs> I'm a fundamentalist. I take the Bible at its word and I take the music of Kanye West in his at his word. Maybe I'm being naive, but I believe that Kanye believes he was put on this earth to espouse the virtues of Christianity and uh, to spread the word of God. I believe that. Now, is he going to believe that five years from now? I'm not so sure. My brother and I actually were just talking about this last night, and he texts me. He's a big fan of Jesus is King, um, and he says to me, I can't wait for the Muslim album, you know? <laughs> Which was sort of a tongue-in-cheek comment, but I understand what he was saying, right? Like, this guy has ebbed and flowed more than the harshest of waters. So he says now, I'm done making secular music. We all know that's not true. In a year and a half, Kanye will have ridden another wave of intellectual thought, and it will be another controversy, and we'll debate it on Twitter for another month, and that'll be the natural order of things. This is how Kanye operates. Some find that to be... Annoying, at times immoral, unethical, I think it's quite beautiful. And it's the reason I'm a fan of Kanye West in the first place. I find it so refreshing watching a guy with the biggest of audiences, with the brightest of spotlights, with the loudest of platforms, changing his mind, experimenting with new political ideas, experimenting with religion and faith and spirituality. Of course, Kanye has always been a self-proclaimed Christian, but feels like now his faith is stronger than ever. And look, I'm down for it. It's authentic. It's real. And that's what art's supposed to be. That's why we make music. That's why we make film. That's why we write poetry. We're searching. We're looking for the right way to live. And I have supreme faith that that's what Kanye's trying to do. Even if he falls short of his goals, even if the music is not as good as the last album, even if the politician that he supports is not the same as the politician you support, there's a genuine curiosity and wonder and flexibility that Kanye has always had and will continue to have until he's done making music. So this is a natural progression of things. As someone that grew up, by the way, with a religious background, I don't think this is necessarily a great gospel album. I've heard a lot of gospel music in my life. <laughs> grew up in the church. Uh, my father uh, is really into gospel music. I, I don't know if this necessarily succeeds as like a great church record, and I'm not sure we'll be playing it uh, during Easter service, you know? <laughs> but it's something. It's a choice. It's a progression. It's an evolution. That's what we ought to demand out of our artists. Not the same old record 10 to 20 times over. I continue to ride for the Kanye experiment. I am here in the roller coaster. Ups and downs, twists and turns. Have at it, Kanye. I'm here for you. This is Cultured. We're coming right back to talk streaming wars and much more from the world of Hollywood. Stick around. All right. Um, we're here. Oh, my God. It's time. This is the week. This is the month. 
This is the beginning of the streaming wars. Oh, I need a sound effect for that. Hang on. Real quick. Let's try that again. Take two. This is the week. This is the month. This is the year of the streaming wars. That song just makes me want to punch somebody, doesn't it? (laughs) Hope you feel the same way. All right. So here's what's happening Friday. Apple TV Plus is hitting the internet and I guess a bunch of streaming boxes and things of that nature. iPhones. Oh, yeah. Your iPhones are definitely going to have access to Apple TV Plus. iPads. Hopefully your desktops as well. You will be able to watch the latest content from the Apple Library, five bucks a month is all it costs you. Or buy yourself a new iPhone, get a year of Apple TV Plus for free. Um, Apple TV Plus, as I see it, has nothing going for it other than the early start time. And now I could be wrong, but this is the only leg up. They got the product out there before Disney, before Warner Brothers, before NBC course they're behind the eight ball with netflix hulu amazon way behind the eight ball from all three of those companies but uh being first to market or at least early to market is a huge advantage it's going to be a lot easier for consumers to part ways with five dollars a month now than it will be after they've paid seven dollars a month for disney plus um other than that the buzz has just been very negative it's pretty crazy all of these shows i guess have been shown to critics in some capacity. I don't know how many episodes. As far as I can tell, not a single critical darling in the bunch. The morning show has sort of been panned by viewers. I think there's been a lot of praise for the Jennifer Aniston performance, but other than that, it's kind of a a, a flat cash grab of a production. The uh, The best show, according to reviews is this new Emily Dickinson, like, teen drama in the style of CW. The show about the Russians landing on the moon first, decent reviews as far as I can tell, and the Jason Momoa show with the blind people, I guess kind of a stinker. Let me look at the Rotten Tomatoes scores here. Uh, Oh, yeah, Snoopy in space not getting a lot of love either on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, we get an 81% for Dickinson, 80% for All Mankind. The Morning Show, ugh, 57% for Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell, and Jennifer Aniston. And C gets a 44%. Uh, the rest of these shows, I don't know what they are. Ghost Rider? I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, this is not how Apple envisioned it. And it's one of the problems um, with Apple getting into the content creation game. It's going to be very tough for them to be a competitor in the streaming wars without that pre-existing library. Like, they're going to expect you to pay $5 a month for access to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight television shows. That's all you're getting. $5, eight television shows, most of which you won't like. Even if you give it a try, which I will this week, by the way. I'll pay the five bucks. I'll sample these shows And if I don't like it, I'm going to cancel. There's a real danger not having Friends reruns on your platform. There's a real danger not having Breaking Bad episodes on your platform. There's a real danger not having Marvel movies on your platform already. This is a real uphill battle for Apple. Like, obviously, they are the most valuable company in the world. They have a billion dollars just lying around to use on original programming and I guess there's no reason not to get involved with that sort of capital laying around uh but man you guys just haven't done this like sure Apple makes awesome commercials for their smartwatches. I love watching the Christmas ads Brad Garrett playing Frankenstein's monster it's all well and good but you guys don't have the built-in infrastructure 
you don't have the people in-house that know how to make compelling movies and compelling television shows. And you certainly don't have the library to build audience loyalty. Like, sure, you have the hardware. The Apple TV app is already on every iPhone. And if you buy a new iPhone in the next month, you'll get a year of Apple TV free. That's something. But now you understand why Netflix and HBO and Hulu are outbidding each other for the rights to 90s sitcoms. Now you get it. It's about dependability. It's about comfort. It's about familiarity. And it's about a library that can justify a $12 a month subscription. This was the risk that Apple took on. More than any of these other platforms, they had to hit it out of the park with their original content. Netflix was allowed to stumble through House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. All those original Netflix shows from like 2012, 2013. They were allowed to make mistakes because Friends was still streaming. The Office was still streaming. Friday Night Lights was streaming. Breaking Bad was streaming. And now they have a well-oiled machine. Stranger Things has no signs of slowing down. But they were allowed to fumble through the production phase. This, they don't have that luxury. This is the library. This is all the library has to offer. And if you fuck this up, you've lost the opportunity at new subscribers. We'll see how it goes on Friday. And I will reserve judgment until I watch these shows for myself. But I'm skeptical. Um, Disney Plus, we've talked about that. That's coming next week. We'll talk about that more as it approaches. But, you know, that's an example of a platform I have a hard time seeing fail. I I don't think that will happen. Um, All signs are pointing to this being a home run for the Disney Corporation. Disney's just really good at this. They're good at eventizing releases eventizing movies, eventizing television shows, and now they have built such forward momentum toward this streaming service, uh, people are just going to sign up like wildfire. Like, if you are a parent of a child 10 years or younger, I don't see how you can justify not signing up for Disney+. Plus. The library is just too deep. It's such a stacked roster. And it's Disney. And they're good at this shit. The Mandalorian will be a great television show. The Marvel series will be entertaining, populist entertainment. I just think Apple got this wrong. I don't know what they could have done better. Um, I, I don't know if they wanted to get in a bidding war for Seinfeld. I'm not sure that would have been the answer, right? Uh, Apple is certainly a technology company first, and this seems like more of a uh, of a feature to accompany their hardware than it does a standalone product. But still, this is not a major player in the streaming wars yet. Disney is, Netflix is, Hulu is, Apple TV Plus, not yet. I'll tell you what, however, is certainly a player today, and that's HBO Max, which uh, just had a bunch of news break at an investor meeting. The, uh, The price is now out. HBO Max, May of next year, will cost $15 a month. That's more expensive than Netflix, more expensive than Hulu, Amazon Prime, everything. This is now the most expensive major player in the streaming wars. According to the announcement, now this is very confusing for me, right? So HBO Max will include all the HBO content. Game of Thrones, Succession, Sopranos... Deadwood, all on there. But it costs currently the same amount as HBO Now, which is HBO's current streaming service. If you pay for HBO Now, you will have automatic access to HBO Max when it debuts in May. But if you are just a lowly HBO subscriber through your cable provider, you're going to have to pay an additional $15. This is all very confusing. Uh, I just wish they called it HBO and we were done with it. Just take my money. And now it's HBO, but you can watch Friends in the Big Bang Theory. Whatever. Those are just semantics. $15 expensive. Sure. The library. Very impressive. Friends, Big Bang Theory, South Park was just announced to be part of the catalog today. And a bunch of new Warner Brothers films, including Joker, will be available this May. Here's the advantage for Warner Brothers. 
um, this thing has the HBO name on it. And that name carries with it a legacy of prestige, high-quality entertainment. Only the best television shows are on HBO. In fact, it's not TV. It's HBO, as the slogan goes. Only the best. Game of Thrones, Veep, The Sopranos, Deadwood, Barry, Succession. People are already paying 15 bucks a month for that shit. Now add on top of the entire HBO catalog, Friends, Big Bang Theory, Rick and Morty. And according to this release today, 88 original programs. 88 programs unique to HBO Max. Stuff from Greg Berlanti, Issa Rae, Mindy Kaling, Looney Tunes characters, Hanna-Barbera. Please, no brainer. This is brand recognition, though. This is the power of branding. This is the power of legacy. Apple doesn't have a legacy yet. Apple's legacy is that of a technology company, not of an entertainment company. Apple's legacy is of sleek, beautiful devices. Disney, HBO have a legacy of populating content for those devices. So although the semantics are confusing, what I realized this morning is that this platform's greatest asset is its name. Because I read that press release, $15 a month, HBO Max, more expensive than any other streaming service. And I thought to myself, what a bargain. This may work too. We'll see. Streaming wars heating up. Uh, Much more to come. It is the only subject anybody is interested uh, in this year. And it will continue to be that way for the next several years. We will give you an update next week here on Cultured. Until then, let's stick around. We'll come right back and we have more news from the world of television. In fact, more news from the world of HBO. Some surprising announcements Coming out of Warner Media, we'll talk after the break. Stick around. So there is some news from the world of Westeros this week. Yes, I'm talking about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. The finale was a mere five months ago, and we're already talking about it again. <laughs> the body of Daenerys Targaryen is still warm, yet we can't help ourselves. Spoiler alert. Uh, you know, there was this spinoff in the works. Starring Naomi Watts, and uh, this was supposed to be the next Game of Thrones project to hit HBO, the extension of the Game of Thrones cinematic or television universe. Uh, Naomi Watts is a fairly big name. The show was rumored to be called The Longest Night. I don't know the details of that story. Apparently, it took place thousands of years before the television show and uh, Song of Ice and Fire series. Uh, I don't know who's involved. I'm not a fucking nerd, man. Read the books yourself. Um, (laughs) They filmed the pilot. They showed the pilot to HBO. HBO says, Nabby, we're going to cancel this shit. So no more is the Naomi Watts Game of Thrones spinoff. My first thought, um, AMC would never do this. You know, (laughs) that was my first thought. HBO, this is power. This is power. This is brand recognition. Game of Thrones, most popular television show, certainly of the year, perhaps of the last 10 years. Beloved, watched by millions, pirated by millions across the world. Not bigger than the HBO brand. HBO watches the pilot, not up to our standard. We're giving you the axe like we would any other mediocre pilot. Meanwhile, AMC, which was just as foundational to the golden age of television, gave us Mad Men, gave us Breaking Bad, has clung on to The Walking Dead like a zombie to Rick Grimes. They will not let it go. A third Walking Dead television show. Show number three is on its way next year. Walking Dead is what, in its 10th season now? None of the original cast is there. (laughs) Then we have Fear of the Walking Dead. I don't even know what the name of the third show is. I saw there was a teaser at Comic-Con. 
Like, that's brand recognition. That's power. Game of Thrones is big. It's not bigger than HBO. We've made television long before George R. R. Martin even toyed with the idea of a series. We're bigger than you. If we say your pilot is not up to snuff, hit the road, Jack. Sorry, Naomi Watts. Go back to making David Lynch films. It's, it's just, uh, you know, it's crazy to me how good HBO is at this. And look, like HBO does not get great ratings on all their shows. You know what I mean? Like Succession was, I thought, the best show of the year and is beloved by a certain core audience, but the ratings don't come anywhere close to Walking Dead. But they generate revenue and they have a large profit margin because audience members trust that the television shows that are good enough for HBO are good enough for them. Uh, I was quite shocked that they canceled this show. Obviously, that pilot was really, really bad. Like, I can't imagine even a mediocre pilot would have got greenlit because it has the Game of Thrones name attached to it. I mean, in fact, even the pilot for Game of Thrones, this is something I, I saw written about yesterday, was not particularly good. I think it went through a bunch of reshoots and re-edits, and I think they even recast some of the leads. I don't know if Sean Bean was the original Ned Stark, but um, Game of Thrones was a messy, messy pilot. But HBO stuck with it and gave it another shot. So that's how bad this show had to be in order to get the axe. You know? Uh, AMC would have never done that. AMC does not have that quality control anymore. And it's kind of sad, you know, that HBO has lit, I'm sorry, that AMC has greenlit a third Walking Dead series and just canceled Lodge 49 yesterday, which was among their uh, their best dramas. That and Better Call Saul are, for me, the only watchable programs on that network. It's kind of sad to see what that network has become in the shadow of HBO, which remains this behemoth of the industry. Uh... Yeah, the longest night. I I would have bet a lot of money against that getting canceled, but here we are nonetheless. However, in its absence, this seemed like sort of a a PR make good for HBO yesterday. Uh, Another spinoff called The House of the Dragon has been ordered straight to series. We didn't even need a pilot for that one. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Ryan Condal, uh, George R. R. Martin are co-executive producers on the series. <sighs> George, you know, can we just finish the damn book first? What are we doing here? You're going to show run a television show now? What's happening? Miguel Shapotnik will uh, be directing the pilot. He, of course, directed some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. Some of the great action set pieces in the history of that show were directed by Miguel. This is a more, I guess, contemporary story? How could you call it contemporary? It's a mystical world, Nico. These characters are not real. This this country does not exist. It takes place later on than the events of the Naomi Watts series, and it's based on the Fire and Blood book written by Martin last year. Actually, no, it just came out this year, right? Yeah, Fire and Blood, which tells the history of House Targaryen, of course, the ancestors of Daenerys Targaryen. Apparently, they fought in a civil war. That's what the show is about. Uh, the show will, I guess, fill in the margins on on what the book did not explicitly explain. Should be fun. We'll see. M- Miguel Shapotnik, obviously, uh, a talented director. It-, it will be nice to see him behind the camera. I'm not really familiar with the work of Ryan Condal. I guess the biggest show he worked on was Colony. Let me pull up his IMDb page real fast. Um, Yeah. Colony is his show. Oh, and get this. The screenwriter behind two Dwayne the Rock Johnson vehicles, 2014's Hercules, and 2018's Rampage. All right, maybe I'm a bit skeptical. I don't know. (laughs) We shall see. Uh, this does feel like a more natural spinoff, right? You kind of want 
the spinoff to involve the original series in some way. This makes a lot more sense. Also, it has the pre-existing IP. The source material is there. And I'm sure that was another thing for HBO, too, is they wanted George to be heavily involved. I think after the Benioff and Weiss situation, people were not uh, happy with that finale. And, you know, I I think the show was at its weakest when it was not drawing from the novels explicitly. So I guess why hand over the keys to the Corvette when you have Mario Andretti already behind the wheel, right? (laughs) Is that a weak analogy? I don't know racing. Huh. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this. Um... Again, it's going to be a huge part of this HBO Max thing. Uh, Friends, Big Bang Theory will be a massive part of it, but Game of Thrones is not going away anytime soon. We're going to get plenty more stories from the world of Westeros, and they got to get it right. You know, I think that that's the main takeaway. HBO did not want to half-ass this shit. They didn't want to push a series uh, to full order if it wasn't going to be of the highest quality and worthy of the original series. So... Yeah, I mean, more power to them. More power to them. Speaking of which, uh, Benioff and Weiss, this was another uh, story that broke just a few days ago, have now exited the Star Wars trilogy that they were working on. This is in the wake of a $250 million production deal with Netflix. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss came to an agreement that their schedules are just too packed. They don't have time to commit to a Star Wars trilogy Uh, A bump in the road for Disney, a bump in the road for Kathleen Kennedy uh, on a journey that has had uh, many bumps along the way. It has been a rocky road for Kathleen Kennedy to get here. For the most part, her Star Wars movies have been profitable. Han Solo, not so much. Uh, But here we go again. Another high-profile creative duo out on the Star Wars universe. You know what this feels like to me? (laughs) This feels like the deck is just being cleared for Kevin Feige. The Red Sea is parted. Kevin, step in, save the day. That's what this feels like. Disney saying, move over, Kathleen. Move over, Benioff. Move over, Weiss. Move over, Lucasfilm. The adult is here. The grown-up is finally in the room. And he's going to take care of this once and for all. I don't know what a Kevin Feige Star Wars movie is going to look like. Um, obviously, he won't direct or write. He'll just be in a producing capacity. But, uh, you know, a lot of poor decisions have been made behind the camera. And this feels, yeah, th- this feels like it's about to be the Feige era for Star Wars as it was for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Who knows if the Ryan Johnson series is now going to move up? I hope that's the case. But, you know, this Ryan Johnson thing, it's just so frustrating. Last Jedi is one of my favorite Star Wars movies. I think it's by far and away the superior um, Star Wars movie of the new trilogy and better than both of those spinoff films. So I definitely wanted to see the new Ryan Johnson trilogy. But they moved this Benioff and Weiss thing up. This was supposed to be the follow-up to, um, to, to The Rise of Skywalker. Now, I don't know if, like, they're going to give that trilogy to someone else, if they're going to scrap the plans altogether, if, you know, J.J. Abrams is going to come in and do cleanup work again. I don't know. I I really don't know. Again, this just feels to me, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Kevin Feige, the most powerful producer in Hollywood, perhaps the most powerful creative presence in the world um, in terms of massive high budget entertainment Uh, just feels like it's his time you know i think star wars movies are gonna look a lot like marvel movies over the next few years who's to say if that's a good or bad thing i think it's certainly good for the bottom line of bob Iger. it's certainly good for disney shareholders is it good for star wars fans now i'm nervous i was excited to see benioff and weiss tackle the universe i really was uh but now they are gone And uh, we eagerly await The Rise of Skywalker in two months. I am not excited for that movie at all, by the way. Have I talked about that? I definitely have. (laughs) Oh, I'm the biggest Star Wars fan you'll ever meet, man. And I'll be at the midnight premiere of this, obviously. 
I'll see it. I'll probably cry. Doesn't mean I'll enjoy it, though. <sighs> I don't know. Uh, I want to make two more notes. First of all, I love the new series that's playing out in the American news media this week, which is what 80s sitcom star will Jane Fonda get arrested with this week? <laughs> it's such a fun who's who game. It's it's such a it's you know what? We should be betting on this. Oh man, there should be odds in Vegas. Oh, we need to do this. Uh I'm sure you can find a sports book that will take action. Because Jane Fonda has been arrested, you know, each of the last three weeks, is that right? To the day. Jane Fonda is out there protesting climate change or whatever, bringing awareness for climate change. Uh, and has been engaging in civil disobedience. First, she was arrested by herself. Then the following week, she was arrested with Sam Watterson, <laughs> star of Law and & Order, and uh, I guess Jane Fonda's co-star on Grace and & Frankie. And now just last week, Ted Danson has entered the fray, handcuffed in Washington, D.C., with a giant smile on his face. Uh, look, I have no opinion on the protest whatsoever. Um, all I know is that Jane Fonda is the most incredible looking 81 year old woman I've ever seen in my life. That woman has not aged a day. It is unbelievable how good she looks. (laughs) Who do we think is next? Danny DeVito? Who's the guy that played Frazier? Actually, no, he's a conservative. Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't be in. How about Jason Alexander? Ooh, that's a good one. I might put a little money down on that. Yeah, maybe like 50 to 1 odds for Jason Alexander. Bradley Whitford, perhaps? Alan Alda? Oh, it's got to be Alan Alda. Got to be. Alan Alda, I'm putting this out here right now. For the world to hear. Cultured, October 30th, 2019. Within the next month, Jane Fonda will be seen handcuffed with Alan Alda in Washington, D.C., protesting climate change. I am so confident in that prediction. I've never been more confident of anything in my life. As sure as the sun will come up tomorrow, Jane Fonda, Alan Alda will be protesting together. Maybe Matthew Perry. What do you think? (laughs) One of the stars of Friends. David Schwimmer? He seems like the protesting type. He cares about the environment, doesn't he? That's point number one I want to make. Point number two, uh, rest in peace, Robert Evans. Robert Evans, uh, the Hollywood magnate behind some of the great Hollywood films of all time, producer of The Godfather, Chinatown, Rosemary's Baby. If you don't know who Robert Evans is, uh, read up on him. Fascinating dude. Failed actor at first, but like really attractive. You know, he he had like done a bunch of movies and they were all pretty bad and he was not that good in those movies. <laughs> but there was like this sort of inexplainable star quality about him. So in like the 60s, despite having no producing experience... Paramount just put this guy in charge. (laughs) It's one of the strangest stories. They just put this random dude in charge of the company and he goes on to produce some of the great films ever. Green lights, the Godfather, uh, green lights, Rosemary's baby and changes cinema really. And, and for many decades, he was sort of a idiosyncratic, uh, interesting figure in the business dealt with uh, drug problems. I think uh, was arrested and I I don't know if he served jail time or whatever for cocaine trafficking. Real complicated dude, but a really important guy, an influential guy. And one of those mythic stories that uh, you often see in Hollywood, you don't see it so much anymore. There are not many Robert Evans left in the business. Perhaps that's a good thing, but um, 
is just a fascinating story. Go read into it. Uh, an important figure in the history of 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 the movie business and uh, a larger than life character in his own right. And I believe they made a documentary about him as well called The Kid Stays in the Picture. Recommend you check that out to learn more about Robert Evans. Rest in peace. He's no longer with us. Died at the age of 89 just yesterday. Folks, that's going to do it for another edition of Cultured. Thanks for being here. Uh, check us out. Website, tmt.media, too many thoughts, media.com. Here's what we got on the site. Uh, if you are, again, handing out Halloween candy and you don't like horror movies and you need to kill the time somehow, listen to our review of Troll 2 on why is this a thing. Such a funny movie. Um, not for the best reasons, but it was a real hoot of a podcast. And uh, I also roasted Adam Hall on his costume choices this Halloween. All that's available on why is this thing also we did a two cents radio nick rob and i it was our annual halloween spooktacular we exchanged ghost stories and we talked about the end of the world a lot of fun over there and uh, movie hall of fame available tomorrow thursday we are talking about robert eggers new film the lighthouse with our buddy jabril awesome movie we spent an hour on it check that out movie hall of fame on the website as well. You know how much I love you. And you better come back next week, kids. So you and I can once again get culture!